The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has risen. You know, everything in Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You and I wouldn't be in here this morning if Christ hadn't have died, was buried, and then rose again. I, for one, wouldn't be wanting to follow some esoteric teaching of some guru or fella whose bones you can still find. Wouldn't impress me very much because I believe in a living God, one who is alive today and reigns in heaven and in my heart and who is coming to earth again very soon. I'm not going through the scripture by scripture of, of, the, of the resurrection. Instead, I'm going to take you around and about. And Paul helps us do that. He gives us the gist, the, the gist of the resurrection and why it's impo- so important in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you have believed something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had already been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of them are still alive at the time of Paul writing this, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I'd been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. And your faith is useless. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power, for Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, before we launch into this message... I want you just to note some excellent resources if you really want to get into the subject of the resurrection more deeply. And it is the one subject in all of Christianity 
that you need to know everything there is to know about because it is the essence of Christianity. There is an amazing video on YouTube, The Resurrection, The Heart of Christianity. I watched it for a couple of hours. I'm only going to bring one point from it, but it's very, very worthwhile watching. 83 years old now, David Pawson, speaking in Singapore, one of the greatest teachers of the word today. And he brings things out about the resurrection that are quite mind-boggling. Also, if you want more depth understanding of the subject of the resurrection, go online, YouTube again, good old YouTube, and put the resurrection Derek Prince, and you'll find some of the finest teaching on the resurrection that you'll ever come across. So here's the interesting point that um, David Pawson revealed. And where's Ben? Yeah, I'm especially bringing this point to Ben so that he's going to have a few sleepless nights thinking about this one. You will recall that Peter Bristow last Sunday mentioned that the Jewish day runs from 6 p.m. in the evening to 6 p.m. the next day. It's different. We go, you know, what, what, midnight to midnight. That's the Roman way. But the Jews didn't. Their day started at 6 p.m., so everything is very, very different. Why am I saying this? Because we all think that Jesus died on Friday and rose again on Sunday morning. That's Friday night, Saturday night. That's only two nights in the grave. Couldn't happen. Jesus himself said three days and three nights in the tomb. So something's wrong in our understanding. David Pawson researched it and comes, came up with this fact that Jesus Christ died at three o'clock precisely on the Wednesday. It was just before the special Sabbath, which was on the Thursday, not Saturday. It was the high Sabbath. It was done for the Passover. And at three o'clock precisely, thousands of lambs went to glory because they were being sacrificed. And the Lamb of God was also sacrificed at three o'clock on Sunday, on Wednesday. And the whole sky went dark. For three hours, the sky went dark. And the, the temple shook and was split and was broken and the, and the, and the curtains were, t were torn. And so... The day before the Passover was to be celebrated, it's referred to in the Gospel of John, the scriptures tell us he was in the tomb three days. So just have a look at the figuring of that. Wednesday, three o'clock, on the cross, Christ died. He actually gave up his spirit. He allowed himself to die. Then he was in the grave. All day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday, there's the three days. And that he would have risen between 6 p.m. on Saturday, that's the new day starting for Sunday, for them, the first day, between 6 p.m. and midnight. That's the third day. That's the, the, that, that's the um, 
the day that he, he arose because the ladies, the women, came to the tomb when it was daylight and the tomb was already open. So that was the sequence of events. And according to Pawson, the church then chose Sunday to worship God in celebration of his rising on the first day of the week. So for those that are sticklers for the Sabbath, being a Saturday, that's possibly being a little bit legalistic, but the church, the body of Christ, started to worship the Lord on a Sunday. That's when it happened. Why? Because that's when Christ rose from the dead. So here's a question for you. Who took the body of Jesus down off the cross and put him in his own new tomb? Anyone know? Speak it out. Joseph of Arimathea. Very wealthy man who loved the kingdom of God. And you'll find that in Luke 23, 50, if you want to check it out. And who helped him take him off the cross and carry his body to the new tomb? Well, I'm not going to tell you. But you can look it up. It's in John 19, 39. Two people carried Jesus to the cross, wrapped him in, in the embalming clothes and put liniment and put him into the tomb. My father produced a series called Faith Finder Films. After Billy Graham had come the first time, there was a tremendous move of God in Auckland, and people were just hungry for the word. So my father, who was an evangelist, prepared a series about Genesis and geology. Proofs of the Resurrection was the one that he did, and the one I remember the most. Because after I'd seen my father's message on proofs of the resurrection, I was absolutely and utterly convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ was raised from the dead. And so I'm going to touch on some, some, some things that I remember from that and some other things that I have found. So be, but before we look at the proofs of the resurrection, we need, need to deal with one of the views that atheists trot out regularly. And that is that Christ never really died. And that the resurrection was a hoax. Mary Eddy, who's the founder of the Christian science demonised cult, which has quite a following in the States, she taught that Jesus just swooned on the cross. And that, quote, the disciples lovingly took the fainting body of Jesus off the cross and away to a sepulchre where they revived him. Absolute garbage. Absolute garbage. If you know anything about a crucifixion, nobody survives a crucifixion. It is the most painful, wickedest torture that any person can go through physically, let alone mentally. Those Roman soldiers wouldn't have risked their own execution by allowing a prisoner condemned to death to live. 
And the scripture provides amazing proof that he died. Medical proof that he died. Medical proof that was not known then. Look at John 19, 33 to 34. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately flowed blood and water. Any doctor will tell you that a death on the crucifixion, which is so severe, when the body dies, the body slumps. You understand that when you're on the cross, you are tied or you are nailed and you have little things under your feet to push you up to breathe. Can you imagine the pain? Pulling on those nails to breathe. And at some point in time, you can't handle it anymore and you give up. And if they're still going, before sunset, the soldiers will come along and break the heels so that you have to die. When they came to Jesus, he had already died. How did they know? Because he wasn't moving. You have to move to breathe. And that shock to the heart creates something. Uh, Using the work of Samuel Houghton, commentators Frederick Charles Cook and Josh McDowell, some of you might remember Josh McDowell, writes a lot of the apologetic series, argue that the death of, of Jesus in the Gospels could not have been fabricated as the text displays medical knowledge not available at the time. Any doctor would tell you that when a person dies from a violent death like crucifixion, the heart sack fills with fluid as well as blood. Now they've only discovered that in the past couple hundred years. When the soldier pierced the side of Jesus, outflowed blood and water, a medical sign of his death. I just can't believe anyone could come up with that kind of theory. Can you, can you imagine a fainting Jesus all wrapped up because they said that's what happened to him? Suddenly getting up and walking around and convincing everyone that he was, he was resurrected like a walking zombie? I don't think so. So let's look at the seven proofs of the resurrection and, and these follow uh, the, the things that my father used to teach but all his notes are lost unfortunately. And so I found this on the website, on the internet, and it's worthwhile following up yourselves. If you want to look at it, thoughtco.com. Thoughtco.com by Jack Zavada has given some pointers, and I'm going to pick up on some some of the notes. The first proof of the resurrection was the empty tomb of Jesus. Because you know that legally, when you're looking at a legal, people are looking at a murder or a death, Mostly, they want to find out, are there witnesses? And secondly, what is the circumstantial evidence? In many cases, there is no witnesses. And so most people are convicted of of murder um, by circumstantial. And so there are rules. And of course, God provided lots of proof of Jesus. And the first one is the empty, empty tomb. And two major theories have been advanced by unbelievers. Someone stole Jesus' body or the woman and and the disciples went to the wrong tomb. So obviously the Jews, that's the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Romans had no motive to steal the body of Jesus because as soon as people started talking about it a week or two later that Jesus rise from the dead, they'd say, get off the grass. Here he is here. Zoop. But they couldn't do that. 
And Christ's disciples were too cowardly to have done anything. Do you know they were hiding in town, fearful of being arrested. They were in absolute fear and shock. They didn't even take the body to the tomb. Two other people took the body in the tomb. You've got to look up those scriptures to find out who that second one was. And how would they have overcome the Roman guard? And how would they have moved the stone? There is one reference to say that it took 30 soldiers to move the stone. It was so big. The woman who found the tomb had earlier watched Jesus being laid away. They stood and watched these two people, Joseph and the other person, take the body into the tomb and they watched, saw where, where it was laid and they actually prepared liniment and, and ointments and what have you but they left them there because you see the sun had gone down and they couldn't work on that Sabbath. So they left it there because they were going to go back later on, on this Sunday, to redo Jesus' body. They would have had to have asked the soldiers, can we please go in? So they knew where the correct tomb was. So even if they'd gone to the wrong tomb, the Sanhedrin would have produced the body to have stopped the resurrection stories. The other thing is that Jesus' burial cloths were left neatly folded inside. Perfectly folded, including the headpiece was separate. Because when Jesus was wrapped, he was wrapped from the toes up to here by the two men that put him in the grave. They wrapped him up to here and then they put on a headcloth. And it was perfectly laid. And John saw that when he looked in. He, he didn't rush in, Peter rushed in, but John looked in the tomb and he saw it perfectly laid out as if the body had just disappeared. So can you imagine if the disciples were going to steal the body, what they would have done? First of all, they would have had to have gotten past the guards, moved the stone, which would have been impossible. They would have gone in and Peter would have said, John, you grab the head and I'll grab the toes and let's go for it. Instead, they took an hour to unwrap things and then take off down the hill with a naked body? I don't think so. You know, sometimes atheists and people who don't believe really come up with some strange stories. Now here is a question to ponder, and we all need to think about this. Would you have gone into an arena full of lions which were going to kill you and eat you and your family or accept being burned at the stake to light up Nero's stadium all the time knowing that the body of Jesus was buried in the back of Peter's backyard? Would you die? Those wicked, wicked deaths that, that some of them died, knowing all along that the body was just buried? I don't think so. All of the apostles except John were executed for their faith in the risen Jesus Christ. Proof of resurrection too. The women eyewitnesses. If you read in John 21 to 18, there's a fantastic story 
of how Mary first came on the Friday, on the Sunday morning, thinking that she was going to ask permission to go in, and the other ladies came with her. So that they, they weren't expecting Jesus to rise. Do you know that none of the disciples thought Jesus was going to rise from the dead? Even though he had told them three times, I was just reading it this morning, how he told them what was going to happen. But it says they were blinded. They didn't, so they had no expectation. They were going to wrap going to, to re-wrap up a body. And they were blown away because they arrived there and there was the stone rolled away. And they went running back, told Peter and John. Peter and John said, what's going on? And they came tearing up afterwards. And John stopped at the, the big hole and looked in and saw the clothes and, and believed. John believed. Peter, no, he went in to find out what was going on. But then Peter believed once he was in there. They then went out to tell the other disciples. And of course Mary was back there. And as she was walking out, a man started talking to her. <clears throat> and she thought it was the gardener. But it was Jesus. Now, the women eyewitnesses are further proof that the Gospels are accurate historical records. If the accounts had been made up, no ancient author would have used women for witnesses to Christ's resurrection. Why? Because women were second-class citizens in Bible times. Their testimony was not even allowed in court. And yet the Bible says the risen Christ first appeared to Mary Magdalene, and the male gospel writers had no choice but to report this embarrassing act of God's favour because that was how it happened. Proof three of the resurrection. Jesus' apostles, the disciples, newfound courage. You know, after the crucifixion, Jesus' disciples hid behind locked doors, terrified they would be executed next. But something changed from being cowards to bold preachers. After seeing Jesus alive, Peter and the others left the lock rooms and preached the risen Christ. Unafraid of what would happen to them, they quit hiding because they knew the truth. They finally understood that Jesus is God incarnate who saves people from the sin. They saw a living Jesus and they knew that he had died. They had been up there at the cross and they saw Jesus die. They saw the soldier put the spear right through his side into his heart. Their courage now was so bold that they would preach anywhere and to anyone about Jesus because they'd seen him. Another proof of the resurrection is the changed lives of James in particular. And others. Changed lives are a, a proof of the resurrection, and James was the brother of Jesus in the flesh, another one of Joseph's sons. And he was openly skeptical that Jesus was the Messiah, didn't believe it. That was just Jesus, my brother. You know, he's just a bit of a show pony now.
Later, James became a courageous leader of the Jerusalem church, even being stoned to death for his faith. Why? The Bible says that the risen Jesus Christ appeared to him, specially. What a shock to see your own brother alive again after you knew he was dead. Another proof of the resurrection was the large crowd of eyewitnesses. 500 people saw him at one time. And some people said, oh, look, all the disciples and that, they just had hallucinations. Well, any psychologist will tell you that it's impossible for a large crowd to have the same hallucination. Only one person can have a hallucination at a time. And smaller groups also saw the risen Christ, such as the apostles and Cleopas, you know, walking along the road to Emmaus. They were chatting with him and they didn't know who it was. They all saw the same thing. And in the case of the apostles, they touched Jesus and watched him eat food. The hallucination theory is further debunked because after the ascension of Jesus into heaven, sightings of him stopped. People were hallucinating, I saw Jesus, I saw Jesus. After he'd gone to heaven, they'd keep on seeing him if it was just a hallucination. But of course it wasn't. Another proof of the resurrection is the conversion of Paul. The conversion of Paul records the most drastically changed life in the Bible. Saul of Tarsus, he was an aggressive persecutor of the early church. And when the risen Christ appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road, Paul became Christianity's most determined missionary. He endured five floggings, three beatings, three shipwrecks, a stoning poverty, and years of ridicule. And finally, the Roman Emperor Nero had Paul beheaded because the apostle refused to deny his faith in Jesus. What would make a person willingly accept, even welcome, such hardships? Christians believe that the conversion of Paul came about because he encountered Jesus Christ, who had risen from the dead. Another proof of the resurrection is that hundreds and thousands of people have died for Jesus. You are looking at a picture of Christians being burned alive so that the stadium could be lit so that the crowd could watch the Christians being eaten and killed by lions. If you didn't believe that Jesus was alive, wouldn't you put your hand up and say, I don't believe in Jesus, I shouldn't be here? But they didn't. They knew they were going to be <coughs> with him. Why were they going to be with him? Because he had been resurrected from the dead. He was the first fruit. Hebrews 11, 35 to 37 says, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were tempted, they were slain with the sword. Most of us here, I believe, have no doubt in our hearts that Jesus was raised from the dead because we have met the living Lord Jesus. If you have truly repented from sin, that is a lifestyle where Christ wasn't preeminent, 
and have been born again by the Spirit of God, then you can walk and talk with the living Lord Jesus. When I was in my early 30s, an incident, I was a director of Stereo FM, the first FM radio station in New Zealand. And I was in the board meeting when I got a phone call to say that the relationship that I was in was finished, was the marriage was never going to come back together again. And that broke me. And I went home and I lay on my bed and I wept before the Lord. And I wept before the Lord because of the sin that had been in my life that had led all the way to that. And all of a sudden, I was zapped. Like Paul on the road to Damascus. I could not get up off that bed because of the zillion bolts electricity of love that poured down on me. It was just an incredible experience. And I got up off that bed, it seemed like two hours later, it might have been two minutes, I don't know, but I was in love <coughs> with Jesus Christ. And my life turned from that point in time forever. And as Des says, and I never walked back. Why? Because I had an encounter, an experience with the love of Jesus Christ. Now just in case there's someone here who doesn't know the living Jesus, or if you're listening to this on the podcast, don't delay a minute longer. Invite Jesus into your heart right now. Just close your eyes and say, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. And he will. Repent from sin, turn your life around, and get baptised in water. Because that's what Jesus commands, commands his disciples to do. Look at Romans 6, 1-4. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptised in Christ Jesus were baptised unto his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Praise God and Amen. Bless you. Yeah.